they banned Christmas. They did. They literally banned Christmas. I'm not talking about the Grinch that stole Christmas, and nor am I talking about some perceived war on Christmas. I'm talking about our esteemed forerunners of democracy, the pilgrims. They banned Christmas. They legislated it out of their communities. They even passed a law which said that anyone caught celebrating Christmas will be fined five shilling. They did this because they saw nowhere in scripture that they were told to celebrate the birth of Christ. They literally banned Christmas. Now, I want you to know up front, I'm not being curmudgeonly this night. I mean, that's not my way, for those of you who know me, and I certainly don't feel this, that way about this night. I love Christmas Eve. Still, you may have noticed, as I have, that we do live in a culture in which our particular Christian story is not appropriate for all settings or times. I mean, I get that. I really do. There is no reason that this night's story, our Christian story, has to be the story by which others live. And so, I understand, I get it, that Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is a better choice for a public school holiday concert than Away in the Manger. However, it can border on the well, almost ridiculous when people rewrite classic Christmas carols to make them more palatable. It troubles me. When the first Noel, which we just sang, and I love the first Noel, becomes the first snowfall. Or when the kids are taught to sing, joy to the world, my shopping's done. Well, you might be saying, well, if you're not being curmudgeonly rich, then what's the problem? Well, I want you to know the problem isn't a desire to be tolerant and respectful of other faith traditions. I believe in that. You know that. This congregation believes in that. And many of us would agree that, that bigotry has been a blight on the face of the earth. It's caused untold misery and pain. So respect, tolerance of others, that's not what I'm speaking of. But here's my concern. If we're not careful, our story, the story of this night, the story of the birth of Christ, the heart of the season, will lose its edge. It will lose its ability to sort of grab us by the lapels and have us sit up straight and hear it again. How strange and marvelous and miraculous it is. Because the birth of Christ is a unique powerful, and a saving way to understand our world. And the heart of the story, the story that we tell every Christmas Eve, is from the Gospels of Luke and Matthew. They're different stories. One more emphasizes the perspective of Joseph's, the other Mary's. But both Matthew and Luke have a very peculiar detail about them. The important events in the story take place at night. 
angels visit Mary, angels visit Joseph, an angel visits the shepherds. Night, night, night. Sometimes in dreams, but always at night. Now, I don't know, maybe, maybe that's why Charles Dickens had those very unearthly ghosts come to visit at night. They give a terrible dream to the man who is forever connected with miserliness and the, well, if he could have, the banning of Christmas. Ebenezer Scrooge, right? It's said that Dickens, Charles Dickens, was so proud when he heard a journalist describe a Christmas carol as a, as a sledgehammer blow upon the conscience of the nation he loved. Because he believed the nation had become insensitive to the plight of the poor. And at Dickens' funeral, the preacher that day said that a Christmas carol is the finest Christian sermon in the English language. But Dickens shares more in common with Matthew and Luke than simply the fact that the important events take place at, well, night. All three of them understood that despite the fact that it was night and dark and cold, the Christ child arrives as the light of the world. I mean, each one of them testifies to the belief that the light of the Christ candle shines in the darkness, and the darkness shall not overcome the light. Now that, that can never be banned. But the darkness and cold overcome by a child? I mean, really? I mean, why an infant? Well, maybe, perhaps, as one writer has suggested, because babies never start a war. Infants never make hate speeches or litter. Babies never refuse to play with each other because they belong to different political parties. I mean, you hear it, right, in this ancient story? God has a radical plan as to how God will reconcile us to him. The story of a child's birth in a barn to peasant parents. You know what it says, right? It declares to the world that there is no place, no place too dark, no home too plain. There is no life that is too hurting or broken into which Jesus cannot be born. God and God's people reconciled. You can't ban that. Well, it was a Christmas Eve some years ago that the mom, her husband, and their 16-month-old were beginning the drive. It was after work, early evening, but it was quite dark by then. The drive was about 200 miles to her parents' home, and they had maybe gone, well, less than half of it. And as they were driving along, it was at first just beautiful. It was as if the clouds were sifting snowflakes that were floating to the ground. But then those flakes soon became a full-scale snowstorm, and they realized they were going to have to pull off the road. And 
and they looked for the next exit, and they were going slowly, and they figured they would pull off and sit on the side of the road until maybe the storm cleared or the roads were cleared. They knew nothing would be there, but much to their surprise, there was a dismal-looking restaurant of concrete block and a single large window front pane that actually had its lights on. And inside there was a waitress, an elderly couple who they assumed maybe had nowhere else to celebrate, and so that's where they were, and who appeared to be a lonely, somewhat disheveled, perhaps homeless man. He had no food in front of him, but was nursing a cup of coffee and had his hands around it. The family sat at a booth, and now their 16-month, you've experienced this, had been in a car seat for a while, and he needed to, well, he needed to explode his energy for a while. And so to burn off some of his energy, he began banging his toys on his metal tray top that had brought from over the corner for the high chair. And then, of course, he began to drop the toy on one side and then on the other. And the mom would bend down, and then the dad would bend down. And they both didn't realize, but they thought to themselves, this floor hasn't been washed in weeks. <laughs> they began to take turns walking their son around the diner, and, and the other would gobble down a few forkfuls while they did. The Denver omelet was surprisingly good. It said, though, breakfast all day, so they fulfilled their charge. But you know, right? <laughs> this was not the Christmas they had dreamed of. Well, eventually, back in the high chair, their little boy's eyes kept meeting those of the disheveled man in the other booth, and they began to play peekaboo. And then the little boy would bang his toy on the metal tray, and this strange antiphonal response of the coffee cup. Much to the embarrassment of the parents, it went on for what seemed like, well, forever. Well, finally they heard it. That familiar scrape of a plow in the distance, and then you could see the sparks and, and the orange lights, and then the click, click, click of the salt being spread. Mom gathered up the diaper bag and put the last few things in and zipped them closed. And they left. And as they passed by the stranger, the son who was in her arms leaned out of her arms and threw open his arms, and the homeless man threw open his arms, and she gave in. And they embraced. I mean, her pride and joy in this seemingly God-forsaken place, embracing a disheveled, homeless man wearing a third or fourth-hand coat with stale stubble on his face. And yet, her heart was strangely warm. But remember, miraculous things happen at night. It's of no small significance that when Mary gave birth to the child, that God was not born among the powerful people on earth, but that God appears among the lowly, 
oppressed, the seemingly God-forsaken. So friends, I have to ask you this question this night. Is the miracle of Christmas the singing of the angels? I mean, is the miracle of Christmas the wondering and the wandering of the shepherds? Is the miracle of Christmas the travel and journey of the exotic kings? I don't know. I think the miracle of Bethlehem might very well be that there is no life that is too hurting. There is no place too insignificant. There's no heart that is too ordinary for Christ's love to be born there. This night, God and God's people reconciled. This night, words of comfort and joy. And so, this night, let every heart prepare him room. And Merry Christmas.